Poor Andy. He used to be so good. Well, I know, I know, but that was when your folks first bought him. Now he's out of date. Uh, has been. Oh, Elaine, let's face it. He'd be worth more to us if we just melted him down. Damn. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show where we watch TV shows that only had one episode and now just live on YouTube for us to watch and talk about and complain about. My name is Stuart and with me tonight as always is Joe. Howdy. Hey Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. And in our third chair tonight we have Brad. Hi there. So there have been many fantastic and imaginative visions of the distant future in movies and television. And I'm sure... There have? Wait, why, why wasn't I asked to come on for one of those then? <laughs> well, I'm sure we can name dozens of them. Metropolis, Back to the Future 2. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Doorways. Doorways wasn't the future. <laughs> that was like an alternate reality, right? Yeah, they were in the same oh, time. Yeah. Demolition Man. And then, of course, there's the 1977 Andy Kaufman TV pilot. Stick around. I mean, obviously, that's one of the first ones that comes to mind, right? When you think of uh, sure is yeah. future visions. For me, it's the first one every time. <laughs> when I imagine the future, I imagine Andy Kaufman robots serving us all. It's a concept that for some reason was used twice, not only in this TV series, but later in a movie that we'll talk about as well. But uh, I guess first thing is we need to talk about who is Andy Kaufman. Oh, well, that's an impossible question to answer, isn't it? Because no one really knew who Andy Kaufman was, did they? Yeah, it's true. He was kind of an enigma wrapped in a mystery concealed in a riddle wrapped in a neck brace you're full of bullshit my friend i will sue you for everything you have i will sue your ass you're a motherfucking asshole as far as i'm concerned you hear me a fucking asshole <laughs> he was uh, called an anti-comedian because a lot of what he did was largely to amuse himself and uh, to piss off the audience he was kind of an anger artist to shamelessly paraphrase from franz kafka uh he was an artist who enjoyed pissing people off and a lot of his act was that he would get up on stage and he would just start reading conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes but after a certain point i don't care what it's founded on when i came back from the east last autumn i felt that i, I felt that i wanted the world to be in uniform and ever thought more of it. all right now look let's let's keep it down please because you know we have a long way to go and and that was it that was the whole act he would like read a few pages and when the audience was just ready for a punchline, that was it. He was gone. He made you feel like this was building up to something. To be fair, what he made his name doing was that kind of humor where his club act was he would come out as foreign man. His character later refined into, well, into this, in this show. show. <laughs> in the Nalat Kravas on Taxi. And he would be a nebbishy, very soft-spoken, very terrified little foreign man. And then he would... Uh, do a terrible impression. I would like to do for you some imitations. So first, Archie Bunker. You stupid. Everybody so stupid. You, you meathead, get out of my chair. You dingbag, go in the kitchen, make me the food. 
Everybody's so stupid. I don't like nobody so stupid. Thank you very much. You could do an impression, one after the other, like that, and then finally... I would like to imitate the Elvis Presley. And then he would whip off his outer clothing and he would have an Elvis uh, costume on and he would do a pitch-perfect, amazing Elvis impression. But it's a one for the money, two for the show. Three to get a red and I go but don't you step on my boots when you chew that was the punchline to his act. Andy Kaufman basically invented the modern Elvis impersonation as we think of it. Oh, did he? I, I did I did not know that. People did it before him, but he really perfected it as a thing. And Elvis supposedly said that Andy Kaufman's was his favorite. Really? Wow. I did not know that. I think what most people know Andy Kaufman from is the Jim Carrey movie, the Man on the Moon. Which is same title as an REM song about him. And then there's a Jim Carrey uh, documentary about the making of it that came out just, I think, like last year or a year or two ago. Yeah, two or three years ago. Jim and Andy. Where he just shows off his asshole method acting technique. Universal didn't want the footage we took behind the scenes to surface so that people wouldn't think I was an asshole. (laughs) Yes. uh... It's actually a great documentary, but Jim Carrey is a jerk. I will say that. Yeah, he's an absolute turd in that. He really, (laughs) really gets under jerry lawler's skin <laughs> it's really good which is it seems like a poor choice a wrestler <laughs> large trained fighter yeah. there was another character he did called tony clifton yeah the lounge singer greatness mm-hmm. his thing was that he would be uh, just an annoying loud mouth and he'd get himself thrown out of places and both tony and andy would if they were being interviewed somewhere they would profess that they weren't each other so there is no truth to the, to the rumor that uh, you're actually Andy Kaufman. There's no truth in everyone whatsoever. That's total f- fabrication on your part. <laughs> well, no, I didn't. I mean, a lot of other people have said that. I don't mean people are saying that. Many people say a lot of things. I don't believe it. You don't believe it. I don't see it. You don't see it. Be it. Clear it. He admit it. So the whole thing was Tony wasn't actually Andy. And in fact, a lot of times it was Bob Zamuda, Andy's writer, who was playing Tony Clifton. And he continued to do so after Andy's death to help fuel this mythology of Andy as having faked his death. So great part from that documentary is Bob Zamuda goes to the Playboy Mansion dressed as Tony Clifton. And everyone there thinks it's Jim Carrey because they all know that he's doing the movie. And, you know, he's convorting around and being obnoxious and harassing everyone and they're letting him do it and then jim carrey shows up <laughs> and they got they're like well wait who the hell is this guy and they and tony glifton gets thrown out of the playboy man just after the show that we're <laughs> going to be talking about he managed to have a pilot that did get picked up and was a hit yeah. for many seasons taxi and in his contract he insisted that he have a certain number of episodes as Tony Clifton. Yeah, yeah. And when he showed up, he was completely method. He was Tony Clifton the entire time. And he was so bad and pissed people off so badly that they scrapped that clause entirely. and said, no more fucking Tony Clifton. No way. There's a couple of interviews of people talking about that very incident. And there's a lot of conjecture about how it happened. And I would point anybody who's interested to Mary Lou Henner interview for the, I think it was like the TV archive or something. And Mary Lou Henner is, she's got a perfect memory. The opposite of me, basically. Okay. (laughs) On September the 29th, uh, it was this Friday, Ed Weinberger calls us all together 
and he says the show next week well we have a guest star well it's andy but it isn't andy just play along she corroborates the whole story you know if there's any doubt i would go with her version above it anybody else's I don't know to what extent Andy Kaufman expected people to accept Tony Clifton or if he just wanted to get thrown out. So I think what his thing was, he wanted to explore other emotions on stage besides just laughter. He, he wanted to make people angry or upset or confused. And perhaps that's genius. I don't know. But I don't think people really knew what to do with him. And I think that's why there are so many abandoned Andy Kaufman projects. There are just tons and tons. And he was only really active for like six years. He died very young. He died much younger than I am now. He died in 84. Yeah. uh, Just seven years after the show we're going to be talking about. In 1977, he had like 13 other TV appearances that year, other than just this. Mm -hmm. 1977 was a pretty busy year for Andy Kaufman. His big break was he was on the very first episode of Saturday Night Live in 1975. Yeah, the Mighty Mouse, yeah. Which still holds up. It does. I love that bit. All he does is just lip sync with the Here I come to save the day Yeah, it's hilarious every time. I feel like that the feeling was in Hollywood, he's very talented, he's very interesting, there's obviously something here, but we don't know what it is, and we don't know how to harness it or make it take off. Yeah, not something at all new. They were always looking for comedians to be on sitcoms. Your career path, if you wanted to be a stand-up, was clubs then Carson, and then somebody gives you a pilot. A lot of these comedians, they didn't know what to do with. I feel like they had this role already written, but not with him in mind. So I think he was someone the producers were aware of. And they were like, oh yeah, he does that foreign voice. And people think that's funny, but you know, we don't know why. We'll just, we'll just have him do that. In this, it does not work at all. Oh no. No. Because he's doing the foreign man voice and nothing about his character says robot at all. He doesn't move it like a robot. He doesn't act like a robot. Nope. He's Latka Gravis. <laughs> and he's way, way too emotional. The only indicator that you have that he's a robot is him plugging himself in. And then at the end, when he puts the jumper cables under his shoulder epaulets to kill himself. To, get, to commit suicide. <laughs> I just want to say how much I love the fact that he is controlled by his epaulets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a precursor for the 80s. It's like having a robot Michael Jackson. That's what was under Michael Jackson's epaulets as well. <laughs> All right. So this pilot was filmed March 29, 1977. And it did air one time on ABC, May 30th, 1977. Which was probably not the most fortuitous air date. If you wanted to have a sci-fi property that involved robots and you had this kind of older idea of like a robot looking like a human being and just acting like a human being, like I think that people were not interested so much in that because five days before they had gone to see a little movie called Star Wars. And that was what everybody was talking about in late May of 1977. This, by comparison, looks absolutely ludicrous. It looks like a fucking stage play. Stage play with a particularly (laughs) low budget. Yeah, student spec. (laughs) So I found a couple of newspaper clippings that give the description. So this one is from Wilmington, Delaware Morning News. Andy Kaufman and Nancy News star as a young couple in 2055 faced with the perennial problem what do you do when your robot runs down did you say andy kaufman and nancy new play the couple right so this one is factually incorrect (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> Here's another one. This one's from the Akron Beacon Journal in Akron, Ohio. A series pilot deals with a big question in the year 2055. What do you do when your robot breaks down? Fred McCarran and Nancy New are a couple having problems with their android played by Andy Kaufman. Late of the Dick Van Dyke something. It's cut off. There was a variety show. Dick Van Dyke had a variety show. Oh, I've never been aware of that. I've got a question, actually, before we go any further. Just to be clear, I am the only person on this podcast right now who was actually alive in 1977. Am I not? Yes. Okay. Stuart gets pretty close, I think. Right, Stu? I was born in 82. 82. So, uh... So not really. (laughs) I don't remember 1977. Do you remember 1977? I barely remember 19, except for Star Wars, of course. I mean, I, oh, like, okay. Star Wars embedded itself in like my brain. There's a wrinkle in my brain that is nothing but Star Wars. <laughs> and uh, did you go to the like uh, around the premiere? Did you go see it in theaters when it premiered? No, no. I think the first time I saw Star Wars, I think we rented. Oh, no, we didn't rent. We checked out a huge VHS deck. Oh, yeah. from the library and Star Wars with it. So I think I never saw Star Wars in the theater until it, it was re-released in 1997. Wow, I wonder what version you watched. Oh, it would have been the one before they added episode four, no doubt. <laughs> that, Unless there was never a VHS version of that. I'm not quite enough of a Star Wars nerd to remember exactly all the the ins and outs of every last edition of Star Wars. I'm on a VHS forum on Reddit, and people are always posting Star Wars VHSs, and, and it gets very complicated with what version, oh, yeah. like where yeah. the Fox oh. logo is. As a teenager, I was given the VHS set that was letterboxed. Oh. And that was just the shit, man. That was just awesome. <laughs> I had never seen, like, the full widescreen Star Wars, maybe even Empire. I know I saw Jedi in the How big was your TV? Oh, uh, well, the TV we had in the living room was maybe 21 inches. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Full on experience. You got to get really close. <laughs> the one in my room, once I finally got one, was 12 inches. So, yeah, there you, you go. <laughs> Full panorama. <laughs> Actually, researching this show and the credits brought back what I can't even call a memory, just an impression that uh, the writers uh, that wrote Stick Around, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence J. Cohen and Fred Freeman, they were a team, clearly, and they wrote a lot of episodes of classic shows like Gilligan's Island, Bewitched, and uh, Andy Griffith. And they also wrote a show called Struck by Lightning. Oh. And when I saw that title, I, it was like I was struck by lightning just today. <laughs> I thought I fucking dreamed this. Whoa. It was a Frankenstein show. Like your typical nebbishy guy. He like inherited the Frankenstein's mansion or something. I was sure surprised when he left me this place. So was I. <laughs> and there was a monster that was brought to life by being struck by lightning. The monster was terrifying to me. <laughs> As a child, I, I must have seen this when I was like three years old and not understood what was going on. And the monster's like face was burned into my brain as well. And I thought I hallucinated it. <laughs> okay, I'm glad to know that that was a, a real thing. It's not something I invented. Uh, really happened. And Lawrence J. Cohen and Fred <laughs> Freeman were responsible. Yeah, well, you know, we're the last generations that are going to have that. Right. Like we, right. I think we all have like fever dream, like memories from our youth. What was that? These kids nowadays will never know what that's like. They can just look anything they up they want, which is not a future that was predicted by Stick Around. No, no. In fact, uh, Vance does not know a whole hell of a lot, does he? No, he's pretty fucking yeah. stupid. I'm not a big Vance fan, um, and we'll get to that. <laughs> The pilot was first uploaded by a, uh, a user called Silly Crazy Insane, um, <laughs> who uploaded a bunch of Andy Kaufman stuff about 13 years ago and vanished. Possibly Bob Zamuda. So yeah. maybe. 
Or maybe Andy Kaufman. Oh, it could be. He is still alive. I totally believe it. He's definitely still alive. So this first version is in four parts. Because back, you know, 13 years ago, you couldn't upload <laughs> anything over 10 minutes. Right. Oh, yeah. Which is, it's yeah. really interesting because we can actually measure audience drop off from part one to part four. <laughs> so part one of four of uh, Stick Around has 13,000 views. So that's a thousand views a year. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. But part four of four has only 2,500 views. So that's an 80% drop off. I would say that's about right. <laughs> So the other version, which is the one I think we all watched, which was all one video. Yeah, it's 28 minutes long. And charitably labeled remastered. Yeah. Remastered, but it's about the same quality. It was uploaded about three years ago. And it also, it's mono and only the right channel. Oh, I did not notice that. Did not notice that. I, I thought my computer was messed up. I had to like check a bunch of shit and nope. All right, so the cold open starts with um, some retro oscillator sound effects like uh, Forbidden Planet. And uh, and it's a close-up of a weird wall de decoration. It looks like, it looked to me like can lids struck together, like it paint did. can lids. <laughs> and it says the date, April 9th. 2055 which i love as a future year i think all of us can reasonably be expect to still be alive in in 2055 right yeah so in in 1977 that was 78 years in the mm -hmm. future and for us it's about 34 years so it's you know reasonably in the future although you know the last 20 years we've seen some great leaps in technology i can imagine 2055 we'll see at least that much hopefully if the world's still here so we boomed and we meet Andy and Vance, uh, who are playing giant silver doorknob chess. And not that many doorknobs. <laughs> no, there's only five of them. I love the idea that by 2055, chess has been dumbed down so much. They've simplified chess. <laughs> there's so many extra pieces you don't need in there. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, the bishop barely does anything, right? Cut the fat. <laughs> Just get rid of that. Normally, I wouldn't comment so much on what people are wearing, but people are so ridiculously dressed in this. It's all spandex in the worst way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Vance is dressed like uh, an acrobat yeah. or a wrestler. <laughs> yeah. In the yeah, yellow he's, spandex. He's, he's dressed like a flying Grayson. <laughs> Batman. Oh, no, no. Look out, Grayson. God, if only. Andy is wearing like orange bell bottoms and like an orange suit and these like they look like gardening gloves. <laughs> I don't mean to correct you, but those are a hundred percent fucking nineteen seventies jinkos. <laughs> fucking got that wide leg that you can hide your rollerblades under so like if anything they look like the 1970s not the future yes very much <laughs> vance is played by fred mccarran this is actually his first role on imdb and last well no he was actually he was in a lot of stuff um and none of it was very interesting except he had a minor role in not a good movie, but one that's very close to my heart. It's a very yeah. fun movie. A very mm -hmm. silly movie. But his career is a sampler of 70s and 80s, mostly 80s TV series. You know, one shots on shows that I watched when I was a kid. You got your Remington Steel. You got your Hill Street Blues. You got your Hardcastle and McCormick. Your Scarecrow and Mrs. King. First thing that happens is Vance's wife, Elaine, comes out of uh, some, like, space doors and asks Vance, him... Vance, what time would you like to eat dinner tonight? Don't bother me. I'm trying to concentrate. 
and he wags his finger in her face. (laughs) He's like, he's like, not now, bitch. Can't you see I'm playing space chess with the robot? Fuck. (laughs) I I think Vance is one of the biggest problems with this show. He really is. He's just such a huge jerk. Yeah, I totally agree. Something that I find to be sometimes one of the problems with the higher concept sitcoms where there is an interesting character who is clearly the crux of the show in this case andy the robot then the straight man is always just this piece of shit (laughs) and that's vance but does he have to be mean to his wife no no he doesn't have to be mean to his wife but he is it's not funny no not at all no it's fucking dumb so then it also turns out he's programmed andy to lose yeah his controls on lose He's still a loser. So he can't even deal with playing an honest game with the robot. He also needs to win. How insecure do you got to be, right? It's pretty pathetic. So his wife, Elaine, is Nancy New, and she has a very slim IMDb. No roles after 1985. This might be the biggest thing she was ever cast in. I could not find anything on her. As far as I'm concerned, she vanished in 1985. No indication that she's dead as far as I can find. No, no. Um, yeah. The problem is is uh, you know like sometimes with actor guild stuff people use different names mm-hmm. um so it was really hard to to just like google her and, and figure out who who she even was because it seems like i mean she might be someone we'd you'd want to ask uh, what andy kaufman was like probably a story nobody's heard but as far as we know she's hanging out with silly crazy insane somewhere could be <laughs> at the youtube headquarters <laughs> whenever i see a career like that i kind of like have this nasty feeling that she like was really shit on by the industry and just got out and is now like selling houses houses or something yeah that's exactly how i think about it as well she's an orthodontist somewhere she got fucking weinsteined and left maybe it wasn't that bad (laughs) well i hope not so okay so she says i bought some steaks for dinner tonight they were on sale 58 dollars a pound i remember when it was 32 dollars a pound big laugh for historical context inflation big topic in 1977 really oh yeah no that was the economic crisis the oil crisis was happening at that time uh-huh. inflation was running rampant that's when inflation basically started up was the mid to late 70s okay and so people were talking about it constantly that's interesting because um i want to keep track of the rich tapestry that is the future world building of stick around <laughs> yeah so we know that food prices have gone crazy i couldn't find out how much a pound of steak cost in 1977 Mm. It was getting up there. There's actually a Warren Zevon song recorded in, I think, 76. Work all day, still can't pay the price of gasoline. These were the things that people were concerned about was gasoline was going through the roof. You know, it was like nearly a dollar a gallon at that time. And and food was going up as well. So people were were very concerned that before too long, they were not going to be able to afford anything. So yeah, they got a big laugh at the $58 a pound steaks. How much is a pound of steak now? A pound of ground beef is like, what, five bucks? Yeah, something (laughs) like that. Four or five bucks. All right. So that one hasn't come true, fortunately. (laughs) We still got a few years. Well, what do you think about eating at six o'clock? I thought we need it six. Is that okay he's with you? He's up to something. Well, Vance. He's, he's going to beat me again. I know it. Is six o'clock okay with you? Not now. Let the computer figure it out. <laughs> At that moment, Andy wins the doorknob chess game. I knew it. He's broken again. He just beat me. He gathers up all the huge doorknobs in his lap. 
and they're like clanking together. And I actually thought that was pretty funny. There's a sincerity to Andy in this that actually works a little bit. Everybody is just overacting and he is so sincere. And I think that's where Kaufman was at his best. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I appreciate his, his Mighty Mouse and his Elvis and all that, but I think that Andy resonated with people. And the reason why he was so popular when he finally did get on a hit show was that people like to like him. Yeah, he has a sweetness to him. All right, so Elaine announces... The computer says that we're going to be inside at 4.30 and it's fish balls and it's going to rain. Aww. Also, it's going to rain on the terrace where apparently they program yeah. the weather. <laughs> yeah. Why would you program shitty days? Okay, so at this point, Elaine looks directly at the camera and says... Robots that don't work, computers that fall apart. If you think things were complicated in 1977, just stick around. Oh, yeah. And then theme song... <laughs> That was so unsettling to me. I've never seen anybody just break the fourth wall and look straight into the camera like that in a sitcom. They were trying to hypnotize the executives at ABC. <laughs> felt like a plea. <laughs> and it felt more like a plea as the episode dragged on. That's true. First thing, right off the bat, Stick Around is a terrible fucking name for this show. It has nothing to do with anything. It's nonsense. Actually, <laughs> when she said that, I immediately thought of alternatives. Give them to me. Stick it out. Okay. Persevere. <laughs> endure. It's only 28 minutes. All right, Brad, here's the problem. None of those have anything to do with the future or a robot. No, they're just what I was feeling. I was thinking you could call it Robandy 2055. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Andy. Yeah. Uh, Andy is short for Andrew. Right. Android was right there. Oh, so you could be Android, Andy Android, or Android Andy. Yeah, something like that. Androiding? <laughs> I also thought we could call it Late Stage Capitalist Stooges. <laughs> that would be like the Soviet title for this. <laughs> so, okay, second problem. The music is absolutely mind-numbingly awful. This needed to be some solid future sci-fi music. It, I don't know, it's 1977, maybe a little early for New Wave, but maybe like Kraftwerk. I mean, wasn't Devo around in 77 or am I fucking insane? Oh yeah, they should have hired Devo. They were avant-garde, I think, at that time. Um, I want to challenge our listeners to send us yeah. in new, better theme songs for Stick Around. We will accept them forever. <laughs> like, if it's 10 years from now, I don't care. Keep sending them. I will always accept new theme songs for Stick Around. The theme song sounded like a parody of a sitcom theme song. It had a real Harry Nilsson vibe to it. Yeah, really bad Harry Nelson. Harry Nelson without the self-awareness? Yeah. We get a big exposition dump in the lyrics about what things are like in 2055. Here's a view of me and you in 2055. New machines and laser beams make sure we all survive. I'm not convinced the person knew what a laser beam was. I think they were just trying to make a rhyme. No traffic, no pollution, it's a new society. You know, we were already talking about there was an oil crisis going on, so traffic was really on their minds. Also, pollution, I looked up what the smog was like in LA in 1977, and it turns out the California South Coast Air Quality Management District started tracking ozone advisory days, or days when it's unhealthy to go outside because of smog. The year with the highest number of days... 1977, 184 days. 
slightly more than half the year you couldn't go outside in LA. Wow. So smog was definitely on their minds when they made this. Food may be expensive, but the air is fit to breathe. Again, mentioning smog twice in the song. And inflation. The smog problem has decreased to in present times. It's, sometimes it's zero days a year, despite the fact that there are more cars and more people. And on average, people drive more. So this has happened. Well, yeah, nobody's running uh, leaded gas at all anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're not driving those huge freaking cars. The, the late <laughs> yeah. 70s is when we started to see smaller cars start to pop up. Yeah, yeah. The last years of the LTD, I think, is 77 or 78. Well, no, it, it wasn't. I actually drove an 83 LTD, but oh. uh, the one from 1977, my parents also had, they had a, a 77 LTD wagon, oh, which baby. is probably the largest car I've ever seen that was a true car and not a truck or an SUV. <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, the turn radius of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> so another thing I wanted to comment on is there's a quaintness to a, uh, a positive vision of the future. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all dystopia now. All dystopian nightmare scapes. Pretty much the only utopian science fiction film that I can even think of from the last, like, 20 years is Her, mm -hmm. which I thought was relatively positive about the future. It still kind of had this Black Mirror kind of vibe where, like, the guy falls in love with technology. Yeah. I do agree that it did make technology seem like it was not necessarily gonna destroy us all. Yeah. Uh, except maybe break our hearts. <laughs> That's worse than death. It's just a, kind of an interesting, like, concept to think, like, you will, you'll describe something as futuristic and that's almost retro. Yeah. Even Star Trek has gone dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, don't get us started on uh, that. <laughs> yeah, Stuart is a, maybe the biggest Star Trek fan I've ever known. <laughs> I might say. Yeah. He's just constantly watching it at all times. I really <laughs> am. I have it on my TV in my bedroom. I just have all of the episodes on a hard drive. And if I turn on that TV, there's an episode of Star Trek on at any moment of the day. It's great. I watched all of it this past year. Every season? Of every season of every show. I have plowed through them all. Wow. Including the one that I started with when I was a kid, the animated series. Oh, I haven't watched that. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I have not thought about that in 25 years. There, there are ways in which it was better than the original. Series. I've heard that. Really? Yeah. First of all, it's tighter. It's a half hour show, and they were able to do more. They, like, they were able to have like a, a straight up alien on the bridge instead yeah. of like a dude in makeup uh -huh. because it's an animated show. Yeah. The animation was pretty terrible and cheap, but it was still, you know, pretty good. And they got all the original voices too, so it's legit. They did. And fun story about that they were going to have everybody from the original cast except Sulu and Uhura come back. Uh huh. Oh. And major. Barrett and James Doohan were supposed to double up as Sulu and Uhura, in addition to being Scotty and Nurse Chapel. And then whoever the fuck else they try to stick them in to do. Yeah, yeah. Except that Nimoy put his foot down and he said, hell no, you're not going to bring back everybody except the only two people of color. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, if you don't bring back uh, Takei and Nichols, I'm not doing this. We need Nimoy. So Takei and Nichols got work. Wow. Big up to Nimoy, man. Nimoy was a badass. I love Nimoy. He was man totally absolutely i feel like i need to watch that animated series i never been able to get into the original series there's just some mental block from looking at it i get you uh, the thing is with the original series is i've never seen all of them it's like they're precious and if i had a tng episode i'd never watched like i would be something special you know because i've seen them mm -hmm. so many yeah. times so i just like every once in a while give myself a little treat i get to see an original star trek for the first time there's a whole lot of joy to be found. 
I've been thinking about sci-fi sitcoms in general. Okay. Every generation has a handful of attempts to bring science fiction to a sitcom format, which almost always takes the form of we take a sci-fi concept and we make it about something mundane that everybody in the current day can relate to. Sure. Yeah. Which is all this show is. Yeah. Mork and Mindy, which actually came out the, the year after, seems like a lot of what they were going for here. Where they found a clubbing comedian and gave him a quirky character to play off of straight modern day people. He's not from the future, he's from another planet, but the, it's basically the same thing. They didn't understand his character. That's like a big part of this. Foreign man as a robot doesn't make any sense. No, it would have made more sense as an alien. All right, so first real scene. We are in Vance's antique store. Vance and Andy are behind the counter. And Vance is helping a customer, a, a lady with like a flowing red dress. And Andy is plugging himself into a socket on the counter. Yeah, he's charging. Yeah, it makes a, a button light up on his shirt. And it looks really awkward. I don't know if this is supposed to be a euphemism, but Vance comes over and complains to him that he doesn't like him charging himself. What do you think you're doing? I'm charging myself. <laughs> You're always charging yourself. But I can't help it. You make me work so hard this morning, so I'm tired. I'm very tired. <laughs> like the way that he's like fiddling with himself and then Vance is fiddling with him, it's really weird. And this is the first time that we hear Andy's voice. Uh, and it's really kind of pathetic and whiny, but sincere. Yeah, and I was concerned by the first scene. I thought, is he going to spend this entire time silent? <laughs> yeah, he's like mugging for the camera in the first scene. Yeah, which wouldn't have been necessarily <laughs> bad, but... No. To hear his foreign man voice was a bit of a disappointment, honestly. For some reason, I, despite the fact that he was silent, I knew he was going to do the fucking lot of voice. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, he's charging through his belly button. Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, that's where the umbilical cord is. Why wouldn't? Why would you not charge from your belly button when all of your other functions are in your epaulets? You're also very expensive. Did you see my power bill last month? Oh, I, I told you never to do that. I would pull my own plug. Uh, I'd like to pull your plug sometime for good. Andy, to his credit speaks up for himself and asserts his right to consent. <laughs> That's true. Andy's autonomy is, is a, another one of the really big problems with this show. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the customer, the lady in the flowery dress says, You know what I would like is a planter. It's something different, though. Oh, oh, I've got just the thing for you. You're going to love it. It was made in 1976, bicentennial model, in mint condition. <laughs> And Vance rolls out a toilet with a plant growing out of it, and she loves it. It's marvelous! And that raises a lot of questions for me. Yeah. Okay, this is the main issue here. Either in 2055, there are no toilets, or this show takes place in the rural south. <laughs> <laughs> where everybody just has chamber pots and outhouses. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, if you drive through um, where I'm from in Arkansas, there are a lot of people that use toilets as planners. <laughs> it's oh, ridiculous. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. My theory, of course, is that in 2055, they use the three seashells. He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> yeah, oh, <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the first time we've talked about that on this show. <laughs> or maybe uh, in the toaster scene, maybe that's when they relieve... 
themselves. Possibly. Yeah, that's that's what harmonizing is. Yeah, it just gets cooked right out of you in a big toaster. The big joke of the antique store is the antiques are all things from the 1970s. So they were oh, yeah. they're contemporary to when the show was made and Vance doesn't know what they are. So perhaps it was like a great calamity, maybe? Like a World War Three. Yeah, like a cultural collapse that nothing happened from 1980 onward. Yeah, World War Three. all the records have been lost or Vance is an idiot. That's the only two options. It's hard to tell because this is such terrible quality on the video. Exactly what is there, but I see like a lawnmower, you know, you see a dartboard. This is just shit that the props department could have brought from home. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the cheapest thing. No expense was incurred <laughs> in the making of this episode. Half that stuff came off of the craft services table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Andy has wrapped up uh, the toaster the lady bought and he did a really bad job. So Vance has to tell her to come back when it's been rewrapped she gives andy a really weird look and leaves and then um andy complains that he shouldn't be expected to wrap things up in like the old ways and vance says i don't like vacuum packs so vacuum packs that's the thing in 2055 as is hipsterism <laughs> vance is clearly a 2055 hipster oh yeah <laughs> he is addicted to analog <laughs> he's probably got a vinyl collection oh god so then vance accuses andy of having a breakdown and andy has to profusely defend himself you're having a breakdown aren't you no no I'm acting. Uh, yeah yeah uh, we'll, we'll see about that you've been acting funny all morning I thought I smelled you burning before. I wish, I wish you would not do this in front of people. <laughs> that is really disturbing. It is. He's had no kind of breakdown. It's like... And again, it's because he's so sincere yeah. to this guy's overacting. And as our contemporary minds already know, wrapping presents is fucking hard. And <laughs> I gotta say, uh, one of the things that I noted positively in my notes is Andy Kaufman wrapping this present is solid bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he does his physical comedy, his Mr. Bean stuff where he's just trying to do something that everybody knows uh, in contemporary <laughs> culture is a commonplace thing and he's trying, failing miserably, he does a great job. Solid. You know, I defy anybody to try and wrap a present wearing gardening gloves. <laughs> it's not no. easy. So then Vance tells Andy... Here, here, go. Finish polishing the ladder. Again, a pretty cheap prop for them to drag onto the set. Yeah. Uh, and, and another customer comes in. He picks up a little radiant heater, which Vance thinks is a fluorescent lamp. Oh, yeah. It's uh, one of those old fluorescent lamps from the 60s. The guy argues with him about it it's a heater it's a lamb are you, are you trying to tell me my business are you trying to tell me my life i was born in 59 they froze me in 86 and it turns yeah. out this guy is a quote-unquote cryogenic yeah these are people who were frozen when they got sick from something and then woken up when the cure was found that's how they're described and he actually remembers this object and that's why he's buying and this leads to one of the major themes in this show prejudice towards quote-unquote cryogenics these yeah. people that have been frozen and unfrozen mm -hmm. And therefore lesser than. Yep, they are other. And this guy has a real chip on his shoulder about it. Like, he's really irritated about it. Oh, are, are you a cryogenic? What of it? Oh, no, 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 no. 
Don't get me wrong. Hey, I got nothing against cryogenics. My neighbor's a cryogenic. Wonderful guy. Yeah, I'll bet some of your best friends are cryogenics. And the dialogue is instantly recognizable. I mean, certainly in the 70s, in the era of Norman Lear, and definitely recognizable today. Yeah, we all know what that's about. We've seen that a million times. Yeah. It's like using sci-fi to talk about a uncomfortable subject, but because we're using analogs, it's funny or, or not as uncomfortable. But to the modern audience, the first thing that immediately draws your attention to is the fact that, spoiler alert, every last face we see for these 28 minutes is what well. yep, yep that's true yeah so um consequently this is not the right term what they should be saying is cryonics not cryogenics Ooh. cryogenics is it's just general freezing things at low temperatures cryonics is specifically freezing corpse and bodies hmm. and i did a little bit of research on this and it seems like by this time in the late 70s cryonics had become a bit of a joke because no one could seem to keep the bodies mm -hmm. frozen for more than a few years let alone into the distant future when they could be revived and no one had any idea how they were going to be revived in the first place yeah, uh, there were a lot of news stories about them not being able to maintain the capsules. Yeah. They would inevitably break down and the body would thaw. Um, and I found this little tidbit on Wikipedia. Robert Nelson, a former TV repairman with no scientific background, who led the Cryonics Society of California, was sued in 1981 for allowing nine bodies to thaw and decompose in the 1970s. <laughs> in his defense, he claimed that the Cryonic Society had run out of money. There's a whole lot of joy to be found. Stick around. Vance relents and says, sure, it's a heater. Whatever you say, buddy. Then they talk a little bit about the old days and the old stuff. And the guy is like, hey, check this out. I got an antique. I got something you'll get a kick out of. Oh, yeah? Oh, wow! That, that's beautiful! C -c can I see it? Sure. <laughs> and Vance starts waving it all around the store like it's a big joke. And so the guy takes back his gun, and he proceeds to rob him. Nothing like an old-fashioned gun. <laughs> Nothing like an old-fashioned sticker! <laughs> what? Get your hands up! <laughs> Andy comes out. And Vance it hides behind Andy because besides being a jerk, he's also a coward. Yep. And he tells the criminal guy that Andy is bulletproof. Andy here is a robot. He's incredibly strong. You can't even hurt him. He's bulletproof. So then Andy just gives the guy all the money in the store. Including the money that the robber does not know about. But what about the money in the back, Vance? So we cut to just a hard cut back to the apartment. Vance is telling Elaine... Elaine, are you listening to me? Andy tied me up. He gave away our money. And Elaine is trying to uh, fix Andy's shoulder box thing. Like, she's, like, she's like fiddling with it with, like, little tweezers and shit. The other shoulder box, by the way. Oh, not the same one? No, no. The, the, I, no I noticed this, and I read it back to check. And, no, he's, he's like, he's got stuff going on on both epaulets, apparently. He has an actual lose button that's under his left arm <laughs> for losing at doorknob chess. And then his other side, I guess, is for letting people get robbed in front of him or <laughs> helping criminals. I guess, yeah. They, uh, I'd say security <laughs> subroutines. So Vance is pacing around and being a whiny 
tiny jerk. And he literally looks at Andy and says, why are you sick all the time? Yeah, that's just fucking me. So, okay, this is the huge problem with this show right here that would seem to be obvious from the start. We have Andy Kaufman, who is an affluent white man, doing a silly fake accent and playing a domestic laborer. It's incredibly problematic, to say the least. Well, I think if you are going to have a robot slave, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that a privileged white man is probably your best bet in casting one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you want to make him put on a fake accent, of course. I, I don't know if anyone considered maybe not having Kaufman do the foreign man voice. Like I said, I think the producers just were like, hey, everybody thinks this foreign man thing is funny. Just do that. They didn't understand why it was funny. They'd never seen the Elvis routine. They were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the thing. Uh, the, the thing that people said you do that's funny. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> he tells Andy to go to his room, which is really a room closet <laughs> but andy's actually just hiding around the corner and listening to elaine and vance bicker and vance is complaining that she is always lasering andy and he wants to be laser oh elaine you're always lasering him <laughs> you never laser me <laughs> clearly a sexual inadequacy or lack of intimacy joke which is just old, tired comedy. Even by this time, like, clearly we have problems in the bedroom and we're going to make every circumstance in our life a metaphor for it. Problems in the bedroom or the toaster. <laughs> Get to that. This is where we learned that... And he raised me. He brought me up. And she's very sentimental about him. And Vance is jealous of their close relationship. Oh, I, I, I hear the two of you always whispering and giggling in the kitchen. <laughs> Don't tell me you're jealous of Andy. Jealous? Yeah, this TV show is not free from horny. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's rife with horny. And I put in my notes, I have... Uh, Elaine seems to like Andy more, and who the fuck wouldn't? No kidding, you know... <laughs> How about Andy doesn't go to work with Vance? How about Andy uh, hangs around with Elaine all day? I don't know if she goes to work or she, you know, just stays at home. Whatever. I think we know why. I think we know why. Vance would never trust Andy alone with Elaine. Uh, yeah, because he's going to cuck Vance. They're going to run off together. Well, yeah, as we'll see later, Andy is, um, uh, <laughs> he's a good. Andy is a cuck bot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a libiterator. Libiterator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing we learn in this scene is that Andy is a model of robot, and that there are also others, a Pete and a Mickey. We didn't have an Andy. We did everything ourselves, and it wasn't until I got a job that my poor mother could even afford a Pete. <laughs> you never told me you had a Pete. You said the only thing you ever had was a Mickey. And she does like a tiny thing with her fingers. Yeah, she does like that that small penis thing. Like, like he was like a tiny little robot. Like I don't know what he was yeah. doing. Like he was a little yeah. robot. Like maybe he got stepped on. I, I don't understand. And the other thing we get is a line. He did everything for me that time my parents got stuck on the moon. So regular moon travel is a thing in 2055. So that's, that's a thing we have to look forward to. Well, duh. Elon Musk is doing it for us right now. <laughs> That's all he thinks about is getting regular people up to the moon. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to be exploding on a fucking launch pad. I'll be on the third or fourth one that goes good. Oh, by the way, I just want to point out, Elaine's costumes are not great. This one's probably her best one. Yeah, it's very nice. Dress thing that she's wearing here. But she does get costume changes. And Vance is in the same fucking yellow spandex the whole time. Yeah, motherfucker looks like a goddamn ketchup and mustard on a hot dog. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's, a, he's, he's like a superhero called Condiment Man. <laughs> Power before the uncanny Condiment King. All right, so the doorbell rings and Andy pops out and says, Yes, the door. I get it. That's my job. I heard the bell. I'm getting it. <laughs> because he's overheard the fact that Vance wants to get rid of him because right. he's breaking down all the time. So yeah. he's kissing ass. The screen scene that was happening, yeah. It's Mr. Burkus who's at the door. And he is sure that Andy is Nate Silverman's boy. I know you're not human, but you are a dead ringer for Nate Silverman. <laughs> are you sure you're not Nate's boy? I don't think this is a reference to anything. I think this is somebody he knew in the neighborhood. It's actually a reference to uh, a current dickhead, <laughs> Nate Silver. That's what I was going to say. Maybe he's referring to pollster Nate Silver. Yeah. So Mr. Burkus is their quote unquote cryogenic widower neighbor. Semi widower, I guess. His wife is frozen yeah we get a really great gosh i hope my wife stays dead joke good old wife humor right <laughs> there's any young men a writer on the <laughs> two fellows meet one says how's your wife he said i'm not married he says what do you do for aggravation <laughs> Mr. Burkus looked it up in the Hall of Records. Yes, yes. Which I thought was interesting. <laughs> oh, the things they did not predict. <laughs> and she's still frozen. You miss her, huh? My dear, I only have one fear in the whole world. That they'll find a cure for Jenny and bring her back. <laughs> yeah, they'll find a cure for 19 stab wounds in the back. <laughs> So Mr. Burke is just seems like he just like hangs out at their house sometimes. As you do in a sitcom, you know, you just go to your sure, house. Surprised he knocked, honestly. <laughs> so he's played by Cliff Norton, who has a very long, extensive acting career. But the only thing I recognized him was he played Dr. Cacophonous A Discord from the Phantom Toll Booth. Ah. <laughs> What? Yeah. They made a TV show. Chuck Jones animated it. Oh, yeah. Really great, actually. It has live action yeah. and uh, animation segments. Huh. I see that he was also in Punky Brewster and Highway to Heaven. So he, yeah. he continued his career well into the 80s in Murphy Brown in the 90s. He made the rounds, definitely. These people are all dead, by the way. All of them. We don't know about uh, Nancy New, but everybody else, dead. They all died eating a very lackluster pickle at a deli. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently, Mr. Burkus has issues with cryogenic abuse. Kids have been writing things on his door ever since he was defrosted two weeks ago. Yeah, and now, so we clearly saw cryogenics as being the black analog earlier, and now we're starting to see it shifting a little bit to being the Jewish analog. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As we got these little neo-Nazis running around, <laughs> spraying whatever the 2055 equivalent of the swastika is on poor Mr. Bupkus's door. <laughs> It's the double swastika. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Elaine calls Andy into the room, and he walks in backwards, although he doesn't realize it until she points it out to him. Andy, darling, you're, you're walking backwards. Oh, really? Oh, you're right. Uh, yeah. Okay, she wants him to fix them some Vita Cools. 
before they all go shopping. I feel like shopping comes up a bunch in this. Like, they're just always shopping. Women be shopping. I think if you're, like, raised in the late 20th century, I think that when you think of the utopian future, there's little work and more consumerism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Absolutely. But this totally didn't foresee the death of shopping malls. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Maybe in the next 34 years, shopping malls might come back. I think they're on their way back, man. I think they're on their way back. I'm thinking we're about to head into the roaring 20s, so get ready. Bet on shopping malls. Can I just say that these drinks that Andy makes look delicious. Yeah. The Vitacools. I'd try it, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I would like one. But the problem is he walks back in the room, steps on the couch, and throws them on the floor, and then says, Will there be anything else? So, Again, not, not a bad physical bit. No. I mean... It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot to it. No. So Andy throws all the shit on the floor, and Vance has had enough. Start packing. That's it. We're selling you. Oh, Vance, he was just going to Not going, Elaine. He's gone. Gone. He puts his yellow spandex-clad foot down. (laughs) And then Andy's arm just falls off. Just as a a punctuation. I guess that's the end of Act 1. So then, a while later, the doorbell rings, and a new robot, Earl, answers the door. Handsome Earl. Earl is played by Craig... Richard Nelson. Not to be confused with Craig T. Nelson. No. Oh, Craig R. Nelson. Is there a Craig S. Nelson as well? <laughs> Who goes between them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're up to Craig Z. Nelson by now. <laughs> okay, so Craig Nelson, he was on a TNG episode and a Voyager episode, but he was also a regular on Fernwood Tonight. Mm. Tonight from Fernwood, Fernwood Tonight, 30 minutes of very remarkable entertainment coming to you almost live with your host for tonight, Mr. Bart yes. Kimball. You guys are familiar with Fernwood Tonight? Yes. Sure. There was, yeah, uh, what, uh, Martin Mole and... Um, Fred Willard. Yes. I only know about it because at some point they had Tom Waits on. When this is over, listeners, go look this up. Tom Waits on Fernwood Tonight. It has my absolute favorite line of all time. It's kind of strange to have a guy sitting here with a bottle in front of him. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather, rather have, have a, a bottle, bottle in front of me, me than a frontal lobotomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fernwood Tonight was a spinoff of... Very hard, man! Very hard, man! Oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. That's another one of those impossible-to-find shows. So the main character was Barth Gumble, <laughs> and he was the twin brother of garth gumble on mary hartman and dr osgood this character that craig richard nelson was uh, also on a bunch of episodes of mary hartman mary Hartman. really damn Stuart. if you ever come across uh, episodes of that show on a torrent site and you're listening to this please send them to us i need to see it all <laughs> put them on vhs tapes <laughs> and mail them to us So anyway, the Earl, the new robot, belongs to Elaine's parents, and he's helping out for the time being. Not sure really why. He's a cuckbot as well. (laughs) He's nothing like Andy, and he's really adamant about it. I'm fully automated. Platinum connectors, self-energizer, lifetime seals. Does that sound like Andy? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Does it? No, sure. (laughs) Okay, this is the best part of the whole show. Vance and Elaine are sitting Mm -hmm. inside of what looks like a giant box right next to the door and it's glowing and their heads are sticking out of the top and it looks like they're in a trance mr barkus who is at the door what are they doing are they all right that's just an electronic harmonizer it soothes pacifies resolves conflict but what it really is is a giant future fuck toaster (laughs) in the future People fuck in toasters. Yep, and, and of course, everybody would have 
immediately recognize the toaster. That would have been what you saw when the, the classic when the scene comes up is that oh they're sitting in a fucking toaster. That's funny. Anytime you see a cartoon or whatever, that's the toaster. You know, it's inside of it though. The fuck machine from THX eleven thirty eight. Yeah, just sucks the most. I was actually yeah. gonna bring that up. <laughs> So it dings and they rise up like pieces of toast and they nuzzle each other and they say a bunch of love shit and it's gross. And this is one of the things that I think was a missed opportunity. Comedy, as we all know, can be either expectations subverted or expectations fulfilled. And this show leans almost exclusively on the latter. We are given predictable jokes and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But when they rise up out of the toaster, they don't pop up out of the toaster. (laughs) And that irritated me. That pissed me off. And it got the laugh from the studio audience, but still, it could have been so much funnier. I completely agree Uh, with you. Listen, Brad, I mean, I like where your head's at, but having to build a device that lifts them up (laughs) in the first place is a lot to ask. Like, having to, like, pop them Uh, up? I mean, I don't know. And it is clear that this is where whatever money they had went, is to this set piece right here nothing else yeah in the whole show oh, yeah. is at all futuristic this one and the one from the very end it looks great i can't say it's a great idea i don't even think it's really that funny it seems to me that this machine is designed more to induce a sense of intimacy without an orgasm which seems kind of like a ripoff if you, if you ask me yeah i agree <laughs> worse than the thx 1138 suck off machine it tended to harmonize you it tended to put you in harmony with each other not necessarily sexual, but it's uh, it's for peace and for love and for understanding and all that kumbaya shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sex without orgasms, and that's that's lame. Unless you're sting. <laughs> You've clearly never practiced kundalini, Stuart. Tantra, yeah. <laughs> The other one was the Orgasmatron booth from Sleeper with Woody Allen. There's probably a couple of more. Um, I think there was one in um, Logan's Run. There was like a machine that he would like call up random people to have sex with. And there was Barbarella also. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think that was where the Orgasmatron was actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The big organ. I haven't seen Barbarella in a long time. They both like, aren't they like holding things and like their hair curls up? No, she's like in a big contraption and the guy plays on a. Duran Duran plays on the on the organ. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you should watch that movie tonight. A Barbarella. Yeah, one of the best. So Elaine thinks that since they have uh, been through this fuck toaster experience together, Vance has changed his mind about getting rid of Andy. No, he has not, and that's because intimacy and communication are the pillars of a healthy relationship yeah that's right and also he does not uh, respect his wife not in the slightest does he no he's really he's pretty awful but you can't substitute intimacy for uh communication it won't work but you can substitute a wife for an antique store <laughs> <laughs> And Vance says that uh, he didn't. He never thought that the giant fuck toaster was worth a hill of beans. <laughs> <laughs> That's a saying that should come back. <laughs> yeah, hill of beans. It's a good one. He has these old-fashioned mannerisms, doesn't he? Yeah. He's always talking about how he likes old-timey stuff. And Andy is a late-model robot, so that seems like Vance would be into Andy. Like he needs to tinker with him because he's an old antique. And when I first heard about this, I figured that somebody brought andy into the antique store and like dropped him off and that was the plot you know that would honestly be a better plot 
Yeah, it's a missed yeah. opportunity. So it would have been more funny if, if Vance was trying to sell Andy to his wife because he likes antiques and she wanted a new robot. That would have been a funnier plot. That would have, yeah. But instead you have this like kind of like unearned animosity that Vance has towards Andy. It, I mean, yeah, he's breaking down all the time, but like we get angry with our technologies when they don't work, but he's like has this personal vendetta against him, which is all about his intimacy problems with his wife. Yeah. To be honest, my floor vacuum cleaner isn't sentient and it doesn't argue with me or get its feelings hurt like andy does exactly does andy legitimately have emotions or are these yeah artificial emotions he insists he does not he says it's all right you say what you want to i have no feeling clearly he does obviously mm -hmm. spoiler alert at the end like he has the breakdown about how he cares so much about vance so he clearly mm -hmm. does have feelings it's, it's very confusing but fortunately the only thing that vance seems to hate more than andy is earl yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mr. Burkus and Earl are standing there, and Vance says, I hate him. <laughs> There is just no pleasing this guy. He, he, no. he got his way. They have a new, better robot, and he is still being a huge dick about it. He doesn't like the the breaking down, quirky, foreign guy robot. He doesn't like the clearly gay-coded, bitchy robot. Yeah. <laughs> what does he like? Let's be honest. Is it that it, he, he doesn't like the idea of robots? He wants things to be like they were in the old-timey days? Like, he wants to actually hire some sort of house servant? Yeah, he misses paying a Philippine peanut woman a dollar a day to take care of everything the robot does it's kind of like the end of hipster thinking isn't it that's like where, where it's all going to is like yeah but i'm so into the old days i just want to bring back <laughs> bring back slavery yeah, exactly. so elaine tells earl uh to show mr perkis into the leisure room because they're about to show lucy they're about to have leisure <laughs> mr Burkus can't believe they're still rerunning lucy and earl says they never stopped <laughs> She's quite popular with you dead people. <laughs> and this is one that has not aged well at all. I think 20 years after Lucy, it might have been funny. Oh, imagine, imagine that 100 years after I Love Lucy aired, they would still be airing it. Uh, to, to us, that is that joke makes no sense at all. I would say when I was a preteen that era, I feel like they did show like four episodes of Lucy a night on the WB. Oh no, they did and do. That's the thing. Nothing goes away yeah. anymore. As long as yeah. television exists, some station will be rerunning Lucy. It will be playing forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing goes away and the idea that it might is quaint. Well, no, a lot of things go away. Like <laughs> like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Well, like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but things like Lucy are here to stay forever. But... It, I wanted to imagine that Lucy is actually a future show of just like 90 minutes of someone's butt or something. <laughs> and there's this huge misunderstanding. And uh, Mr. Burkus is horrified when he sits down to watch it and they can't understand why. But we just missed that scene. It's actually the uh, Scarlett Johansson movie, Lucy. <laughs> it is estimated most human beings only use 10% of the brain's capacity. Imagine if we could access 100%. They just show that six times a day. Oh. <laughs> she uses 100%. All right. So, uh, so we cut to Vance, Mr. Barkus, and Elaine, and they're eating fillets of pine. <laughs> so people in the future eat trees. Mm. This is the best line. Now I know I'm in the future, you know? Eating wood, drinking rubber. <laughs> and that bush 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they made clear that they were eating fake meat that was made from plants, something that is not at all unfamiliar to us nowadays. No. Uh, so I looked up to see, like, did that sort of thing exist? And the fact is it did. Really? Um, starting in the 30s, they have wheat-based meat substitutes. Wow. I can only imagine what they tasted like. That's amazing. But by the 70s, they did have some meat substitutes. Morningstar still? When I was a vegetarian, that was like the main company that sold meat substitute vegetarian food. And still do, I mean. And still are, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're the worst. There's so many better ones now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my God. Field roast, if anyone's ever had that, that blew my fucking mind the first time I ever had it because it's the one that I had, mostly made out of mushrooms, which I have a much better closer to meat texture and taste because they have all that umami. I've never really striven to have a meat substitute that tastes like meat. I've never really tried for that because that's kind of a fool's errand. Yeah. The thing that I've never been able to stomach at all is uh, vegetarian hot dogs. Ew. Oh my God. We had the nastiest <laughs> ones when I worked at Crown and Anchor. I don't think I ever tried those there. Jeez. They were just revolting. The only way that they were edible was to throw them into the deep fryer and let them go a little bit, but we weren't really supposed to do that uh, for whatever reason. Because they, they, they decomposed immediately. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they got red and weird like a hot dog. So that's what they eat in 2055. Trees, they drink yeah. rubber, and oh, that bush. <laughs> Big slice of log. <laughs> that should be the title yeah. of the show, is oh, that bush. <laughs> Perfect. So... Uh, Earl is harassing Vance because he spilled food on himself. Uh, he spilled food on himself off screen while we were in commercial. They didn't even do that bit of Yeah, business. they didn't even bother to show it. It's just wiping himself. Um, and Vance threatens to pull out Earl's connecting rod, and Earl threatens to pull yeah. his hair. How would you like your connecting rods pulled? How would you like your hair pulled? <laughs> <laughs> He's a sassy little bitch. Earl is kind of a sassy robot, isn't he? So they say that Elaine's parents paid one million and a half dollars for Earl. Yeah, what is that in 2055? 1.5 million in 1977. Adjusted for inflation, that'd be uh, 6,713,247. Oh, shit. He is a six million dollar man? I guess so, yeah. When I watched it as a kid, I kind of figured six million seemed to be a bit of a low ball. Yeah. For like a laser eye and like bionic legs. Well. Well, yeah, six million would be in twenty twenty one dollars. Yeah, so in twenty fifty five, one point five million is nothing. It's two change. Um, meanwhile, we hear a commotion in the kitchen, and Andy comes out. He has thrown Earl out of the window again, off screen. Vance says, "For a mil and a half, he should be able to do anything." I bet he can't fly. <laughs> I like that one. I did. I did like that. One. Yeah, pretty good line. <laughs> So Earl comes back up and it looks like he's been set on fire. It does not make sense at all. His clothes are tattered. (laughs) No, he's way too disheveled. He doesn't look like he fell. Unless he fell like into a thorn bush. He said he fell from 12 stories, not through the brambles. (laughs) Please, please don't bring me in Earl. Vance makes a valid point that Andy is throwing people out of windows, so they need to sell him. That's literally what he says. This time, Andy has gone too far. Who's going to go out the window next, huh? It's just a safety hazard at this point. <laughs> so, ethical question. 
do you have to disclose that the robot you're selling is throwing people out of windows? <laughs> I think ethically, yes. I think any kind of consumer uh, laws would cover something like that. I don't know. In this Randian future, I think that you probably doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah. The free market rules supreme. Nah, pr probably not. You're right. It's all laissez-faire. I would be willing to invest in an old model Andy. Yeah, yeah you could wipe him, um, pave him, and put Linux on him. I, I'm sure there is an avid community of Andy fans that are still maintaining and releasing patches. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Just do a search for my Andy throws other robot butlers out windows. Oh, there's a Stack Exchange article on it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a YouTube channel where a guy is fixing Andy. Sub guys, remember to like and subscribe. Today we are talking about a hot Andy repaired topic, defenestration. All right, so we cut to a scene where a man in a blue jumpsuit and a woman with purple hair are looking Andy up and down and prodding him. The joke in the scene is that Andy is unintentionally or intentionally hitting on the purple hair woman, and she kind of likes it, it sure does. oh my god she warms up to it absolutely <laughs> oh she loves it right yeah uh. pretty awful <laughs> this thing this scene has uh certainly of course some weird slave auction vibes going on i'm kind of glad that they didn't have her like put her hand in his mouth or no something. um but the most baffling thing on this show happens at this moment vance tells them that he has installed a humor program on andy and andy does a bit directly from his stand-up where he tells a story in gibberish <laughs> And in the context of the show, this makes absolutely no sense at all because he has not spoken in a foreign language at any point. What is this language even supposed to be? Is it robots have a language or something? Is humor in 2050 just people saying gibberish? Sure. I could believe that. Yeah, absolutely. The way things are going online, I could believe that myself. <laughs> it's the 2055 equivalent of like lol speak from the 2000s. And like you were saying, it also reminds us again that this is a privileged white man putting on an accent <laughs> and playing a domestic worker. And right now he is literally being sold as a slave. Yep. <laughs> the tone deafness is deafening. Andy has a lot of phrases which have earlier antecedents in comedy. Uh, one of these is... I don't do wind uh, which is from <laughs> yeah. a Windex commercial. Really? Whoa. From 1960s and was used in comedy thereafter. Florence on the Jefferson used to say it. Two things I don't do. Windows and zippers. <laughs> and then the next thing he says, when the lady who looks like she's basically wearing a towel asks if Andy can dance, and he said, won't dance, can't make me. And then he does dance. She does make him. Again, Andy's consent being disregarded completely. But then he uh, flips yeah, the script on right. that. And when she asks, do you dip? He dips her and then he kisses her. Yeah. And we get the money shot for the commercial of all of them trying to pry the two of them apart. Uh, yes. But she loves it, of course, because she's an unfulfilled woman. And then this is the part where we get the, we get the line. Does he have a libidorator? <laughs> I love the idea that there's a module for that. It's just a snaps in. Yeah. You can just install horny on your robot. <laughs> her husband is storming out, pulling her by the arm, and she tells Andy, I'm in the book. So <laughs> yep. phone books are still a thing in 2055. Oh, they're going to come back. I swear they will. Okay. And then a few seconds later, they come back and actually say they're going to take Andy with them. And Andy shuts the door on them. And Vance and Elaine just don't notice this somehow the old shutting the door on people is such a sitcom 
cliche <laughs> that that nobody ever yeah. follows up on it. You know, nobody ever knocks again or like tries to open the door again. Something I don't want to deal with, slam. I would have gone with them. I think that was probably the best place for... Oh my God, yeah. Get away from Vance, man. I think they said that they were going to put him to work in a factory or something. So I don't know. A fuck factory. So he turns on the guilt to try to keep Elaine from letting Vance sell him. But I don't think anything is ever really resolved. No, not, nothing changes whatsoever. All right. So the last scene, we made it. We were in the mechanical room somewhere. I don't know where this is. It's in their basement. <laughs> they say down here. So somewhere they have a giant piece of electrical equipment, which I guess makes sense. You know, future sci-fi, whatever. Clearly some kind of power source. A big Lego battery. <laughs> <laughs> with literal jumper cables coming out of it. Yeah. So Andy is hooking himself up to this piece of equipment with literal jumper cables. And he is saying he's going to commit suicide. Goodbye, bud. In a minute, you won't have me to kick around anymore. Which is, of course, a Richard Nixon reference. (laughs) And then Fance shows up. He's kind of using reverse psychology to talk him out of it. Oh, well, go ahead. Blow your circuits. Burn yourself out. You'll only be breaking Elaine's heart. Andy tells him that he gave the robber the money in the antique store because he didn't want Vance to get hurt. He was Mm -hmm. afraid that the robber would. I I wasn't broken. I did not want you to get hurt. That's why I needed the money. You you did it to help me? And so Vance decides Andy can stay. He relents. Mm -hmm. And then Elaine comes out. She was hiding. (laughs) Oh, honey, that's wonderful. How long have you been there? Long enough. The old how long you've been listening. Long enough. Yeah, this was some kind of weird ruse. She was using the robot to trick her husband. He has every right to think that that robot is warping his wife. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then they all hug Andy and they all get electrocuted. And Andy yells in gibberish as we get the credits. Yep. And that's the end of Stick Around. I was wondering, what would you propose for another episode? I've been wondering that myself. Uh, Where do you go from here? Uh, The whole point was Andy is going to stick around. That's the only justification I could come up with for the title. Yeah, you're right. That still didn't make any sense. It's it's weak. It's very weak sauce. It's a reach. I would hope that they would change it to some other title and get a new theme song. Robot Andy of the future. (laughs) I kind of thought they should just call it Idiot and the Asshole. (laughs) That's what you think they should call every pilot we watch. That's true. (laughs) Is the takeaway from this that the thrust of the show is going to be Andy malfunctioning? Well, okay. So I could see an episode where Vance gets fed up with everything modern and he announces he's only using old-timey things from the 70s. Oh yeah, he's gonna go trad. He fills their entire apartment with antiques, but he doesn't understand how they work and he ends up burning their apartment building down. (laughs) He learns a valuable lesson about using the technology of his present day. There's gonna be at least (laughs) one episode in which Andy has to pretend to be human for some reason. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. He has to pretend to be Vance and and go sign really important paperwork. Yeah, he has to go to an office to get his birth certificate so that he can get a passport to go on vacation with them to Mexico. <laughs> yes, space Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question that I had. Do All you right. think Earl was intended to be a recurring character or regular, or do you think that Earl was just a foil for the pilot? 
Oh, definitely recurring. Yeah, they'd probably bring him back. You gotta have a rival that's sort of on the same playing field. Earl belonged to her mm-hmm. parents, so her parents would have to come visit and they would bring Earl. Yeah, so there'd have to be an excuse to have Earl pretty much every episode. He would be like, you know, a character that showed up once or twice a season. Whereas Joe, Joe Bupkus, he's gonna be in every episode, obviously. Well, yeah, he's mm-hmm. their neighbor. And he's also the audience proxy. He's the guy from our time, quote unquote, yeah. who can comment on things. Well, anyway, um, like we were saying, uh, 1977 was a huge year for Andy Kaufman. He had 13 other TV appearances. It was the really the year that he broke out, honestly. Finally, Taxi, at the, at near the end of that. Yeah, 1978, he was cast in Taxi, and they basically literally bought the foreign man character. And Taxi, I mean, Taxi is a great show. It's an all-star cast. It holds up really well. Um, it's an interesting show, I think, for time period-wise, because it straddles the 70s and the early 80s. If our listeners haven't seen taxi it's it, i recommend it it's good check it out there were 13 episodes a season and i think he only was on like seven of them oh i never noticed huh. that he had a weird contract so he's not in every episode he's only in like some episodes well i know that originally as we mentioned earlier uh tony clifton was supposed to appear in some and then didn't yeah he was gonna be danny devito's brother and then they ended up having to call in another actor it's a wild story go watch mary lou henner tell it i'm not gonna tell it (laughs) and then the weirdest thing about this pilot is in 1980 andy kaufman starred with bernadette peter in a movie called heartbeeps where andy is again a robot butler and he's using the foreign man voice i am valcom 17 485 function to serve as companion and valet i really wanted to believe there was some kind of connection and i could not find anything like i don't know why this happened supposedly they already had this script um bob zamuda and andy kaufman came to the studio and wanted to do the tony clifton story and the studio didn't know if andy kaufman could carry a movie by himself so they were they already had the uh, heartbeat script so they were like well, we'll just put him in that and see how he does and it flopped it was really, really bad. Yeah, big time. Almost nobody has watched that movie, including me. I had not even heard of it until researching for this. It must be that this pilot was so forgotten by 1980 that nobody made that connection that, you know, like, we've already burned this bridge. Like, Andy Coffin's already been a robot butler, <laughs> and it was terrible. Don't do that again. The trailer, which I watched before we recorded this, makes it look like the single most unappealing movie ever fucking made it it looks like meet the feebles but with robots and bad it's no it's not as bad as meet the feebles oh i love meet the feebles meet the feebles is aggressively ugly it really is it really is (laughs) this is more like aggressively boring and grating there's a lot of talent here the music score is by john williams And Bernadette Peters is in it. Dick Miller is in it. Jerry Garcia (laughs) is in it. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) I always just kind of assumed Jerry Garcia had died in like 1978. No, 95. But yeah. <laughs> no, I remember when he died. I do not. I think it's just an amazing coincidence that this movie exists and nobody had made that connection. Like, th- it seems like they wouldn't have made it if they had. Yeah, I guess Andy probably wouldn't have outed himself because it was a paying gig. Heartbeeps is usually billed as his last theatrical appearance, but really, his, his last theatrical appearance is My Breakfast with Blassie. Oh. 
<laughs> Jesus, what? I've seen parts of My Breakfast with Blassie long, long ago. It's a really bizarre, maybe experimental film where Andy, who he's still wearing his neck brace because of Jerry Lawler incident, has breakfast with wrestling promoter Fred Blassie at a restaurant in L.A. <laughs> and Blassie just harasses the poor waitress. Looks like we've got two people waiting on us, you and someone else. <laughs> what nationality are you? Um, you Thai, yeah. I was over in your country, Bangkok, but I never seen a pregnant Thai girl before. Come here. I always like to run like a Buddha. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Don't have to tip her so much when we leave now. It's it's pretty it's pretty hard to watch. But he his last appearance in public was uh premiere of that and he, yeah, my breakfast with Blassie's up on YouTube. I mean, think it definitely falls into the category of like you think this is going somewhere, but then it just never goes anywhere. Just like my dinner with Andre. Hmm. <laughs> Two cool guys talking about plays for an hour and a half. Andy Kaufman died in 1984. Allegedly. Um, Allegedly. Well, I always thought that he had been a heavy smoker. He died of lung cancer, Mm -hmm. but I kept finding conflicting things. I guess I got the idea from the Jim Carrey documentary because he picks up smoking. I thought he was doing that to channel Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he died of an extremely rare type of lung cancer called large cell carcinoma. Uh, Apparently, he was never a smoker. He only smoked in character when he was Tony Clifton. But they also say that he played smoky clubs a lot. So maybe it was secondhand smoke. I don't know. I found conflicting... Um, mm. stuff about whether or not he was a smoker or why he got lung cancer if it was just some freak you know that they're doing uh research now and finding out that cooking over a smoky grill is like just as bad as smoking cigarettes i'm sure oh, yeah like uh either like a fryer fryer flat top whatever Huh. I've always wondered with the secondhand smoking stuff, could it possibly be worse than walking down a, a street with cars driving past you? Yeah, yeah. Go breathe some of that shit in. I, I might be biased. I do smoke a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any final closing thoughts on Stick Around? I'm trying to figure out like what zeitgeist they were trying to capture here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Star Wars was a week before and kind of rekindled the American imagination toward mm-hmm. sci-fi, right? But obviously Star Wars was not out yet when they were making this. So they were not like trying to capture the sci-fi time. I don't know what this was intended to be. Sometimes it just seems lazy to me to say, okay, what's a high concept we can do? What's something we can drain all of the interesting shit out of and just make a bunch of jokes comparing like the future or another planet to the mundane things of American life in 1977? Yeah, yeah I don't... I... It's the Jetsons, it's the Flintstones. Right. It could have been a little yep. bit more creative. It could have been a lot more creative. I think, yeah, the the budget was too low to really capture the future. Yeah, it honestly seems like it was made on like a thousand dollars. Oh, oh shit. I did not know this. I was just looking at one of the writers and he worked on the big bus. (laughs) Do you remember this? It was a movie about a nuclear powered bus that was driving cross country from New York to Colorado. Oh, they both did. (laughs) Both writers. Yeah, they both worked on 
the big bus. Oh if my god. Look at their credits in IMDb. They're the same credits. These guys are a team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. The way you can tell when writers are a team by the WGA credit rules is when they got an ampersand. Mm. Those guys are writing together and they turned in their drafts as a unit. Whereas if it's like and the word and uh-huh. like Stuart and Brad, then that would be Stuart wrote a thing and then Brad rewrote it. Wow. Yeah, I did yeah. not know. That that. That's that's really interesting. That's good to know. But oh my god, the big bus. This came out the year before Stick Around. It sounds like the Pit and Teller Desert Bus. This is incredible. Oh wow, Ned Beatty, Renee Auberjonois, Stockard Channing. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's incredible. A nuclear powered bus is going nonstop from New York, New York to Denver, Colorado, and is plagued by disaster due to machinations of a mysterious group allied with the oil lobby. When the driver is injured, a washed up down on his luck, but used to be great type who, as it happens, used to be engaged to the inventor's daughter, is brought in to drive the giant bus, which includes a one lane swimming pool and a one lane bowling alley. <laughs> it's like the first draft of Snowpiercer. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's like a, it's like a cruise ship bus. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by James Frawley, I see, who directed the Ooh. Muppet movie. Oh, cool. That makes sense. The has Rene Abergenois. I'm 100% in. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Love him. The chef from Little Mermaid. <laughs> of course. Les poissons, les poissons, how I love les poissons. Love to chop and to serve les fish. I could not find any reviews for this show. There's just five of them on IMDb. Give me a good one. They're pretty bad. Give me a short one. Didn't stick around much. But um. This was bizarre and not particularly funny, but you can't say it wasn't bold or original. Yes, you can actually say that. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely can. What the fuck? This IMDb reviewer gave it 7 out of 10. Mm, what? And the, the title is, well, it was original. No, it was definitely the opposite of that. Derivative. Andy Kaufman plays a robot in the year 2055 who is breaking down and his owners consider selling him. He also helps them by working in their antique store, which sells things from the quote-unquote present-day 1970s, but they don't know what the stuff really is. For example, how to use a handgun or that a toilet is not a piece of art. First of all, Marcel Duchamp yeah. would uh, disagree with you on that. <laughs> Greatly disagree. Yeah, that person does not have enough respect for modern day plumbing. That's one of the things that I would have loved to have seen in a future episode is to answer that burning question of if they think a toilet is a planter, how do you shit in the future? How do you shit in 2055, man? It's the question on everyone's lips. I'm going to be 80, so probably in a bag, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs>